Hello. Hi. What would you like to have a conversation about? I'd like to have a conversation about Ex Machina. Hello. I am Professor Robert E.G. Black, and this is Manusha Ex Machina. With me today is Eric Deutsch from Flash Gordon Minute. Welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Now, had you seen this movie before? No, I watched this movie specifically because you asked me to come on the podcast. (laughs) I had not seen it before. That has been so common with this and Eternal Sunshine on this show. And that's so sad to me because I love both of these. Like I saw them the weekend they came out and loved them. But I'm giving people the opportunity to watch these things. Yeah. I mean, it certainly is my kind of, you know, I like movies that kind of mess with your head and then they make you have to think that, you know, it's good to have the movies where you turn your brain off, but it's also good to have the movies where you have to keep your brain turned on. Yeah. So it's just, you know, one of those movies I just had never gotten to. So I was like, oh, all right. Yeah, sure. I've heard of it. Yeah, I'll watch it. <laughs> and did you like it? Yes, I did like it. You called it your kind of movie. That doesn't necessarily mean it succeeded in being it. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Right. I went into it saying it's my kind of movie. That does yeah. right. Not all of those get the thumbs up. We're at minute 24 of Ex Machina. You're getting tired or given recent weeks in this show, pretending to be tired, Nathan and Caleb in the Pollock room. Yeah, this is kind of, I guess, well, at this point, I watched it a couple of months ago, so I don't remember entirely, but is this kind of the first inkling for Caleb that something's not quite right? Yeah, because the power okay. just went out for the first time. This right. Yeah. Night. Okay. And you can tell he does not believe or does not trust what Nathan's explanation is for why he can get out of his room. And so mm-hmm. this is sort of like the first time that the great boss of his company, this incredible visionary, this is his first sort of inkling like, hmm, there's something off about my boss. This guy's not quite as great. There's something weird going on here. Yeah. Because on the one level, either Nathan's sitting there just drinking at, this is 2.30 in the morning, mm. hanging out, and then the power goes out randomly and he's not worried. Or he's up here in the room that obviously it's the one I'm going to walk into. It's the next one down the hall from my room. And he's just waiting for me. And he scared him because when Caleb picked up the phone, he's like, you don't have permission. He's like, said it really loud and startled him. It was a weird conversation for Caleb, for sure. Yeah, well, we don't know how many beers deep he is. (laughs) Well, there's three on the table and the one in his hand. So at least four. At least four. And we, and that, you know, those could be one of those beers that's really high, uh, content you know we don't know the proof of what he's drinking so true true yeah so we got nathan still lounging on the couch with his beers we got caleb standing awkwardly over by the phone and nathan just says i'm working on it we got a shot of caleb and he smiles at the end of this line which is weird because he says i couldn't open the door to my bedroom but his smile is like there's something i don't think he has any idea what's wrong but he just feels something's wrong yeah, and of course, the inability to open doors does become a very huge plot point at the end of the movie as well. So well, right. They're in a, they're in a, he's in a room in a basement with no windows. If the door's locked, he's not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah, that sets up for later because he's not going anywhere. <laughs> hey, I mean, you know, the smile is, I think it ties into what I was saying also, you know, it's the boss, so you don't want to accuse him. Yeah. You don't want to piss him off. So it's like, hey... <laughs> Boss, uh, the door is going to open. What's that about, huh? <laughs> right. But he didn't even go as far as say, what's that about? Yeah. Like yeah. He's, he's trying to keep it really nice. And then we get a closer shot on Nathan for his response. That's a security measure. Automatic lockdown. Otherwise, anybody could just open the place up by disabling the juice, which does make sense. It's also dangerous, but it does make sense. <laughs> Caleb nods and Nathan looks like he's falling asleep when it goes back to him again which he may be, 
it's 2.30 in the morning and he might be four beers at least in tonight. He says, if it happens again, relax. Okay. And we get Caleb. He says, kind of quiet. Sure. And Nathan, he's getting quieter. His eyes are closing. He says, sweet dreams, which is nice. <laughs> well, yeah. I, <laughs> maybe the literal words sweet dreams are nice, but certainly not the way he phrases it is not. Right. So, I mean, his, uh, his whole way of acting in this minute it's, it's very dispassionate. There's zero empathy for that. This employee of his was maybe a little freaked out that he was locked in his room. And it's almost like he's acting like an emotionless robot. Yeah. Yeah. They're all robots in their own way. Yep. But then we do get a shot that I like a lot more after looking at it just in this minute, because we get an angle from behind Nathan. So he's a silhouette as Caleb leaves. He's leaving to the left, which is where the door is in the set, but that was not clear last minute. When he entered, it wasn't clear the shape of this room or what all is in here. Despite what I said, I think last week, this is not the room with the post-its on the wall. I've actually seen better photos of the set since then, and this is a different room. And though Nathan is just a silhouette, as Caleb goes to walk past, we get a focus pole. So his silhouette becomes clearer and the Pollock and everything in the background gets blurry. Which for a silhouette, there's no reason to do that. But it puts focus on this dark shadow of who he is. Yeah, and not only is there no reason to do it, but it's odd the way they have... I don't know if this was obviously Oscar Isaac's choice or the director's choice, but when they do pull out, it's not just his head. The way he's holding the beer bottle, the tip of the bottle looks like it's sticking out of his head, like a little off to the right of the top of his head. Oh, yeah. And, you know, it's just... it's odd. Is it like a horn? Because he's the devil. <laughs> it almost looks like a knob or a switch that you would turn or something. Again, <laughs> like you would have on a robot. On a robot, yeah. <laughs> or Frankenstein's a monster. It's a little bolt. Yes, yes. Then we get a shot from the front again of Nathan. Watching Caleb go, like just with his eyes. And then he takes a drink as the camera moves down to his reflection. And I swear at that last bit as it gets to his reflection right before the cut, it looks like the beer's empty. Because it looks like he looks into it instead of taking a drink. And so I think he's finished his fourth beer. Yes, he is definitely looking into that bottle. Yeah. It's very brief, but I'm like, I like that. It's a nice little bit. It's almost, uh, I wonder, regretful that he didn't, Caleb has left the room. Damn, I I could have asked Caleb to get me another one. That was my (laughs) last one. Since you're up. (laughs) (laughs) And Caleb's, uh, I mean, uh, in that walkout uh, off to the left, really excellent body language there. He is pissed off. But mm-hmm. this guy is his boss and he can't say anything or do anything about it. Right. It might be okay, but also in the moment he was freaked out and he can't, yeah, he can't complain. He can't get anything fixed or explained in a good way. Yep. And he just has to walk back to his room, which I guess would be right next to this one from the way it was edited when he was in the hallway. This is the next door around the corner. Okay. His room right on the other side of that wall past where he's walking. I found while editing last week's show, I guess they're an artist. They're an architect now. Jumping in from editing because I don't think I say their name here. It is Ali Kashfi, K-A-S-H-F-I. And you can find their designs at alikashfidesign.com. As their thesis for an MFA, they basically reverse engineered the sets from this in diagrams by looking at the angled of shots and things and trying to figure out the layout. And I looked at their drawing of the overall basement lab, this whole lab section where all these rooms are. 
And immediately was like, no, that's wrong. That's wrong. That door's in the wrong place. And I'm like, oh no. I mean, I guess it's fine. They went on and got their art degrees. So it was fine. But I immediately was like, I have to nitpick this. I don't want to. I, <laughs> I was so excited to find a diagram. And then it wasn't one from the set designer. Well, the funny thing is, you know, in this day and age, these are the kind of things that directors and production designers really are very meticulous about with this kind mm. of stuff. Like, and, you know, it's the kind of thing that, yeah, it's a nitpick. I mean, ultimately, it doesn't affect the movie at all. And only people like us who analyze these things a minute at a time are even going to care about it. Right. But it's the kind of thing, though, that movies in like the 40s and 50s and 60s would do where it really just like, you know, oh, does it look good? Who cares? We don't have to worry about the space or where things are in relation to each other. It, it just doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. And the movie making these days, that kind of stuff really does matter. And so it's interesting that wasn't done correctly on this movie. Well, the sets in the movie might be fine. This was someone who diagrammed how they thought the layout worked. Oh, okay. Okay. After the so, fact. I get it. I, okay. I see. A bit conjecture on your part. Yeah. Then, I guess. Okay. Got it. Okay. But I was just looking at it and I was trying to figure out, wait, is this, this before I realized they were a student and this was their, their thesis. And before I realized that I was like thinking they were involved with the production, even though I didn't recognize their name. And then I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that door is not where that door is. We got clear shots of some of the angles of these things. And they had their hallways were all not parallel walls, which is not how they are. Maybe the house is just one big TARDIS and it's just not like it looks on the outside. Well, to be fair, the buildings above that they filmed at are very weirdly shaped. Okay. So I guess they were trying to sort of copy that aesthetic, but it didn't work. And that's okay. I think the actual set never existed as a singular overall location. And so they might not be a real layout, mm. but I might try to do the same conjecture as figure it out myself. It's the kind of thing I do because I obsess more than some movies by minutes. People actually <laughs> more than a lot of them probably, <laughs> but then we leave this scene and the script has the nighttime sky as a transition with the dense star constellations wheeling in this clear sky, as it says. But I think that was an idea in the script when they weren't sure where they'd be filming or the exact setting, because I think we're supposed to think it doesn't really get dark here. We only see night once. Hmm. And so I got the impression that it's like white nights, middle of summer. They're in Alaska. It could be far enough north where you'd get that. Instead, we get shots of like the woods, like trees with moss hanging off of it and another tree shot and close up of some plants outside. If it was, you know, uh, at a normal latitude, it looks like this would be very early in the morning sunrise. Yeah, which I think is what they're going for. It's the next day now. Time to wake up. Mm -hmm. And then we're back in Caleb's room and he's sleeping despite that blue light next to the door. And the panel by the door, it's already lit with his image on it. It's unlocked. And someone is behind the glass. Someone's coming in, which we first see her through the frosted glass door, which we haven't met Kyoko yet. Are we meant to think, since you know this shot lingers for several seconds before she actually comes through the door, yeah. and you know she's got her hand pressed against the door, but you know mostly we're just getting this very vague outline that you see through the frosted glass. Mm-hmm. Are we meant to think that whoever is about to open this door is either Ava or are we meant to think if it's not Ava, it's someone who will look exactly like Ava does at this point in the movie, like all robot body with human face. And so like there's a bit of a surprise reveal when it looks to be just 
a regular person in normal clothes. I, I think we're supposed to think it's Ava, the way it's shot. Mm, mm-hmm. In the script, I think it makes it really clear right away, like this is someone else coming through the door. Okay. And it's more Caleb is surprised that she's there first thing in the morning, just walks in. The way it's shot with that silhouette and kind of that pause before the door opens and she comes in, I think we're supposed to think it might be Ava. Got it. Okay. And this is our first time meeting her. So I would mention this is Sonoya Mizuno as Kyoko. This was her first scene filmed for the movie. Technically, this was her first acting role. She was a dancer before this, although she wanted to get into acting. I had gotten the impression from interviews and other things I read about Annihilation that she and Garland had been friends for a while. But in an interview with Backstage, she specifically talks about auditioning for this role and being excited to get it because she would quit her full-time ballet company job. And I always assume they were like best friends because she plays two roles in Annihilation and she's the lead on Devs, his TV show. And I think her voice is in Men. I think I read that. I actually just watched Annihilation for the first time about a week ago without knowing that it was the guy that made this movie. Oh, yeah. And without knowing that she was in the movie, I she did a, a, the, the scene where she plays the humor. Yeah, that's right? Is that the scene where she struggles with Natalie Portman near yes. the end? Is that that's her? her? Okay. I, that's, I mean, that's a very good yeah. scene. I mean, that's, that was very, I mean, I was very, I could tell that clearly someone was doing motion capture there that obviously was not just all CGI and it was very well right. done. Yeah. And she was also, so she could have her face on screen as well. She played the student at the beginning who asked a question on the stairs. Oh, okay. The brief Got part. It. Okay. Yeah. Okay. The one who says, like, I'm not doing well or something like yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. And then she's the lead in his TV show. The description in the script for Kyoko, she looks Japanese. She's stunningly pretty and she doesn't say anything. Just walks in carrying a tray with a cafetiere, which she puts on Caleb's bedside table. She doesn't have a cafetiere. I had to look up what that even was. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> it's basically a little like coffee pot thing. The lid lifts this rod out of the bottom that's holding stuff like the grounds or whatever you're putting in the liquid down at the bottom and you can like move it up and down. They're very strange, very specific. I think he was trying to be fancy. Hmm. The thing that is there, I'm also not sure what it is. The big thing, it looks like a really tall bowl with like food sticking out of the top. And then a small glass of green juice, which is similar to what Nathan will drink later. That's not enough juice for me for breakfast. No. If the juice is the breakfast, I can't tell what the other thing is supposed to be. We will get a better look at it next minute. It's actually just a coffee cup. Maybe it's a whole bowl of oatmeal or something and then the juice. Yeah, could be. I just like a nice tall glass of OJ for breakfast. I I would not be happy if that's all they brought me for my drink. (laughs) I would also point out this is the first of, I believe it's three outfits that Kyoko will wear in the movie, all of which are white and black, Hmm. which I realize now in editing, the black and white outfits clearly tie into the black and white room, which we'll get much later. And we're auctioned together in the same auction I mentioned a few episodes ago when I was talking about Caleb's t-shirt. Now, at this point, do you think that Caleb, considering why he's there and is the interactions he's already had with Ava. Does he think that this is a human or does he think that this is an AI right now when he first sees her? I think the impulse would be human just because that's what he's used to, but he probably immediately right. thinks maybe she's also a robot because why not? Right. She doesn't have to be as complicated as an intelligence because she's just serving them. 
but he might suspect she's a robot long before she shows him that she is. Mm. I hope he does. <laughs> well, just because, you know, Ava does not look human at all, whereas Kyoko does. And so I'm just wondering whether what his initial instinct is. Well, Ava has skin on her hands, feet and face. Kyoko might have. a. I mean, well, she is wearing a lot less clothing. Most of her outfits because right. all of her dresses are free flowing and really short. And so it could still be part of I don't know. The night that she shows Caleb her face and pulls the skin down so she, he can see she's a robot. She's also completely naked first, so he can tell she's either more advanced physically than Ava or she's just some mute employee. Mm. I don't know. It's a very weird situation, no matter how that plays, because even the fact that they scripted this one is looking specifically Japanese. It's like this Orientalist slave thing. And it's uncomfortable even if she isn't a robot well sure especially the making her mute yeah you know right the sort of this you know the stereotypical yes subservient you know right asian exactly i i think when we get to the moment where we see the clips of all the well we don't know that are all of them but i think it's the six different ai that he's made and they're each women a few different races represented and, and like how that plays out as far as these same like are they specifically picking what they're picking for the stereotypes? Rather is Nathan. Yeah, I was gonna say clearly he wants yeah. he wants this one to be subservient, and that's this Japanese quiet, demure servant. Yeah, that's what I was gonna say. This fits right up Nathan's thought process that he he would do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then he can also can play it off as as he does. Yeah, we don't want her to be able to speak English because then she did have all the secrets. Which also, if he's got robots, that's how you keep the secrets too. Let them do everything and program them not to tell anyone. <laughs> so Caleb reacts. I love how he sits up because it looks more like he was caught doing something than he was startled awake. <laughs> you know, I didn't realize that until you say it right now. It, You're absolutely right. <laughs> he, he's not frightened. It's like he's embarrassed or something. Yeah. <laughs> and he says, oh, and she just walks past him. And that's how the minute ends. Anything else on minute 24 or the movie generally? Like I said, I liked it. I can't say I loved it, but I did like it. I think that that sucks what happens to him at the end. I yep. mean, it's entirely possible that he dies of starvation. Yeah. Well, maybe coming close to getting out, but he'll probably lose his strength first if there's no food where he is. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's not going to go well for him. It's our tragedy of the week. <laughs> so if people want to hear you talk about other films, where might they look? I was the co-host of Escape from New York Minute, and I was also the co-host of Flash Gordon Minute. And since both of those shows are done, you can easily binge listen uh, to both of them. They're on any of your favorite podcatchers out there. Thank you for listening. Minutia X Machina is just one part of an existential trilogy of podcasts. Tune in every Tuesday for more Ex Machina, every Wednesday for the Groundhog Day Project Minute by Minute, and every Thursday for Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Minute. You can follow all three shows in one feed. Just search An Existential Trilogy. Follow this show on Twitter at X Minutia, Instagram at Minutia underscore X underscore Machina, or Facebook at Minutia X Machina. This has been a production of Lemming Drops Studio. You can find links to more at lemmingdrops.com. 
or join the Facebook group, Lemming Drops Studio Tour. Also, you can support all my shows at patreon.com slash lemmingdrops. Until next time. What imperative does a gray box have to interact with another gray box? Can consciousness exist without interaction? The real test is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. Thank you.